Amen. Amen. How are we doing, church? Doing good? You look great. Welcome to the Church of 1122. We are one church in many locations spread over the city and spreading. And so I'd like to welcome you here. And also, if you join me in welcoming our Bay Meadows campus for their very first Christmas Eve service ever, because we lost in January. And for the first time in human history, our Mandarin campus is having their first service right now. They're live with us. And from what I have been told, the room is packed, but I did get that from a preacher, so I will have to verify whether that's true or not. So, hey, if you got your Bibles, grab them. We're going to be in Luke 2, Matthew 1, and John 3. Luke 2, Matthew 1, John 3. We're, we're wrapping up a series uh, called, And He Shall Be Called. And today, we're going to talk about the name Jesus and why he is called Jesus. So, if you go to Luke chapter 2, even if you're brand new to Bible study, then you'll be familiar with this passage from the great prophet Linus himself in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Luke 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there... The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Do you know why they were filled with great fear? You see, because of the Christmas pageants that you and I have been to growing up, we think shepherds are kind of cool. Well, in the first century, nobody thought that. They were the lowest of low on the socioeconomic class. Um, most of them were, were kind of vagabonds. They'd move around, no permanent address. They were thieves. They were usually in trouble. In fact, they were looked down upon so much that their testimony was not admissible in a court of law. And then an angel shows up. And now, I can only imagine what these dudes are doing. You live any group of guys out in a field with a campfire long enough, and let me tell you what they're not doing, holding hands, singing kumbaya, okay? And so they're thinking, oh, no, here's an angel of the Lord. It's that kind of feeling you had when you were in elementary school and they called your name on the loudspeaker, Joby Martin, please see the principal. I'm not thinking, I bet I won an award. That never went through my mind. Or it's that feeling when my dad would get home and he said, boy, is there something I need to know? And I would think, well, there's three things you probably need to know, but I don't know which one of the three you know, so why don't you go first, and then we'll just take it from there. Okay, so this is what these boys are feeling. And so the angel says to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is so important, all the people. God's grace and God's gospel is for all the people. Do you want to expand your understanding of the grace of God for all people? Join me tonight at Walmart at about midnight. You just walk into Walmart and you think, for God so loved all the people. And I'm telling you, it'll blow your mind how big the grace of God is. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, if you back up to the book of Matthew, Matthew gives the events of Christmas from Joseph's perspective. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, 
she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared. You see what's going on here? Mary comes up to Joseph, good news, bad news. Good news, I'm pregnant. Bad news, it ain't yours. He's going, I know how that works, and I know he can't be mine. And so I think the way it's going on in heaven is the Lord is like, somebody better get down there and tell Joe what's going on before he dusts off his eHarmony resume and puts that back out, okay? This is the plan for the salvation of all mankind. That's what's happening here. And so here's what the angel says in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For... He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then they quote, he quotes Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You see, who is Jesus? Most people, especially around Jacksonville, pretty pro-Jesus, all right? I haven't met the anti-Jesus person yet. But most, well, very few people really take him for who he says that he is. Most people in our society like to put Jesus in one of two categories, all right? They kind of go the way of Oprah, all right? They're pro-Jesus, but not, not for who he says he is. They say Jesus is a, a, a religious role model, a good example for us to live after, or he is a good moral teacher. And so to both of those categories, I would say, have you read the New Testament? Like, do you know the things that Jesus did? And you think he was a, he was a good example? A good example of what? Do you know some of the things that Jesus did as an example? Do you know when he was 12 years old, the only thing that we have about his childhood at all, do you know what he did? He essentially ran away from home. They go to Jerusalem, kind of on vacation, to celebrate the Passover. And the Bible wants us to know that after they were heading back home for a couple of days, they look around and go, anybody seen Jesus? We lost Jesus. Now, have you ever lost your kid like at Walmart or something? Come on, can we be honest? I'm the only one? All right. Liars, that's what you are. We'll get to you in a minute, all right? So you know what you feel like, Dad, right? You think, I lost my kid. My wife's going to kill me. Imagine losing the Son of God. You're thinking, well, you're going to burn for this one. Okay, so then they turn the caravan around. They get back to the temple, and what does Jesus say? Does he apologize? Does he say, I'm sorry for not paying attention? No. He says, did you not know that I would be in my father's house? I don't, kinda, I don't know what kind of house you grew up in. <laughs> but if my family left me on vacation, and they're halfway back to home, and then they're like, oh, we got to go back to Myrtle Beach and get Joby, and they were to come, my daddy would walk up and me say, do you not know that I would be at the arcade? He'd say, I'm about to show you what I know. That's what would happen in my house. <laughs> so what kind of example is Jesus? Well, by the way, do you know what his first miracle was? He turned water to wine. You hear that, Southern Baptist? Not water to Welch's, water to wine. That's his very first miracle. And here's how we know it was the good stuff, because the guy that threw the party said, who in the world brings out the good stuff at the end? You normally start with the good, and then you roll out the two-buck chuck everybody, once everybody's got their buzz on, okay? And you're bringing, like, silver oak out at the end. What is wrong with you? Is that the kind of example we want to set for the kids? I don't think so. Not only that, at one point in Jesus' life, he's so broke, he can't pay his taxes. He can't pay his tax time. 
He's got no money to pay his taxes. So he sends one of the disciples to go fishing to catch a fish because in the fish's mouth, there's his tax money. Now, how does that apply to you and I? Can you imagine? It's April 15th. You can't pay your taxes. And you go, I'm going fishing. And your wife's like, what? We got to pay the bills. And you're like, hey, what would Jesus do? Okay, you see, I don't think that's the kind of example that we are supposed to be setting. Not only that, he was always at odds with the religious leaders. And I don't mean just a little bit. At one point, he says, you are whitewashed tombs. You are a brood of vipers. And I know when you speak, you lie because you are the son of the father of lies. You're a child of the devil. If my kids talk to you like that, I would wear them out, okay? This is how Jesus talks to the religious leaders. And not only that, he didn't just talk. Sometimes it went to action. He completely ruined the potluck at church one day, all right? He shows up to the temple, and, and the money changers are selling doves and sacrifices at the expense of the poor in the name of the Lord. And Jesus walks into the temple, and he sees this going on, and basically says, what in the name of me is going on here? And the Bible says he didn't just talk about it. He fashions a whip. And I can imagine the disciples are like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm about to show you what I'm doing. And he walks in and whips these money changers out. What kind of example is that? And, and it gets worse. He was at such odds with the religious leaders that he purposefully got himself killed. What kind of person does that? If he's just a regular guy with some insight into how to live, he's a horrible example. So maybe he didn't come to be a good example. To which when I tell people that, I go, okay, okay, okay. I didn't read all that stuff, so I don't know what you're talking about. But what I mean is he's a good moral teacher. To which I would say, have you read the teachings of Jesus? Because I'll give it to you. About half legit, regardless of what you believe or where you grew up or if you believe in God or not, about half of what Jesus taught you could apply to your life and it would help you. What I mean is this. He taught us to love our neighbor. That's good. Treat others the way you want to be treated, super legit. Care for the poor, we should. Be kind to kids, even those that aren't your own. I'm working on it, but that's what he taught, okay? Forgiveness, that's better than bitterness for sure. Don't, re don't retaliate, but respond with compassion. All of that's legit. But about half of the things that Jesus taught, if you take his teaching seriously, sounds like a crazy person. For instance, um, legit, he says, you have heard that it was said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, I think we all agree with that. Then he goes on to say, but if you've ever lusted after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. To which every guy goes, uh-oh, what are our action steps, Jesus? It, he doesn't say, well, you need to pray about her, you need to go to church and say three Hail Marys. He doesn't do any of that. You know what his action steps are? If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. What? Yeah, pluck out your eyeball. And if your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Are you being serious? Yes, it would be better for you to hobble into heaven blind with a new nickname, Lefty, than to carry that sin with you. That's one of Jesus' teachings. That sounds like crazy talk. Here's how I know you think it's crazy talk. If anybody has ignored, fellas, if you have ignored that teaching, can you give me a big old thumbs up, okay? Anybody, everybody, the fact that you can do this assures me that you have ignored that teaching because it sounds crazy. Not only that, Jesus says stuff like, if somebody steals your coat, give them your shirt. No. If you steal my coat, you better run, okay? And I'm going to call the police. At one point, at like the pinnacle of his teaching ministry, there are like 15,000 people listening to him. And here's what he says. He says, if you want to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, that ew, is right. That's nasty. 
I don't think I want to do that. And he doesn't even explain himself. How is that a good moral teacher? That sounds like crazy talk. Not only that, if you want to go to Jesus for some family counseling, here's what he says. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. And I'm going to divide mother against daughter and father against son and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I think that would happen with or without Jesus, but he throws it in there, okay? Then he goes on to say, if you love your family more than you love me, you are not worthy of me. What kind of egomaniac who is just a regular teacher would say such things? And then he keeps going. It doesn't get better. It gets worse. When the people that are following him start getting persecuted a little bit, he says this, don't worry about that. Don't fear the people that can just kill the body because I'm going to prepare for you a mansion in heaven and I'm coming back to get you and you'll be able to recognize me because when I return, I will have fire in my eyes and a sword coming out of my mouth and tattoos on my legs and riding a white horse. If you heard that from the first time, wouldn't you think, is Jesus off his meds? What is he talking about? That sounds like crazy talk if he's just a regular teacher, does it not? And then the one that got him killed was this. He said, I and the Father are one. And no one on the entire planet, with all the temples and all the prayers and all the good deeds and all the rituals and all the religions, and no one gets to the Father except through me. Now, what kind of good moral teacher would say those kinds of things? The only thing that can make it good The only thing that can make that moral is if it is true. You see, if he didn't come to be an example for us to follow after, and he didn't come just to be a teacher to teach us stuff, then why did he come? Well, you see, it's all in his name. It was very, very important for the angels to tell Joseph, and you shall call his name Jesus. The way Jesus would be pronounced in Hebrew would be Yeshua. Yeshua. Sounds like Joshua for us, right? So Joshua and Jesus, same name. If you've if you got some church background, you know Joshua. Joshua's a guy that shows up on the scene, takes over from Moses. His job is to take God's people over the Jordan and into the promised land. land. Turns out that Joshua was just a foreshadow of Jesus and what he came to do. You see, the, the name Jesus means Savior. And Jesus came to take his people, that's us, not just over the Jordan into a piece of real estate in the Middle East, but to take us over this chasm of sin that we cannot cross on our own to the promised land, which is an eternity with a relationship face-to-face with our Heavenly Father. You see, what's in a name? What Jesus was called is the purpose and the reason that Jesus came. This is why the angels say in Luke chapter 2, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. That means gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. That means if you're in the all people category, this message is for you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. Not a life coach, not an example, not a teacher, but a savior who is Christ the Lord. And in Matthew 1, 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why Jesus? For he will save his people from their sins. You see, the reality is this, is that he didn't come to be an example and he didn't come to be a teacher because you and I are not bad people that need to be better. That you and I are dead people that need to be brought to life. That you and I, by nature and nurture, are sinners. That's all right. You're a sinner. Now, I know some of you are like, how dare you? I haven't been here in a while and uh, I'm just gonna show up on a Christmas Eve and you're gonna call me a sinner? Yeah, it's actually worse than you think. You are a wretched, black-hearted sinner. I mean, it is awful. And, and, 
If you don't believe me, ask your neighbor. They will tell you because they know. And, 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 here, and here's the thing. You, you actually know this to be true. Because um, the, the heart of the problem is you and I got a problem right here in our heart. And you know this. Here, here's how I know. Even if we leave out like the perfect standard and law of God, which we all fail, right? We, we could go basic ethics. We could go Ten Commandments, all right? Anybody ever lie before? Anybody a liar in here? Or you got two options. You either admit it, sinner, or you say, nope, not me. That makes you a liar, sinner. You see how this works? Real quick, we fail. So let's just put that to the side. How about this? We can't even keep our own commandments. Have you ever broken a promise to you? Have you ever said, I'll never do again, and you do it again? Have you ever gotten to the part where you say, I can't believe I did that. That is so not like me. You're about to set yourself up to fail right now. In a couple of weeks, you are going to make New Year's resolutions just to prove to yourself once again that we can't even keep our own standards. Nobody's lied to you more than you. Nobody's broken more promises to you than you. If your friends treated you the way you treat you, I wouldn't let them be your friends. That's just true. Every single one of us have been born like the seagulls in Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. We want to put ourselves at the center of our own universe and try to be our own gods. And in fact, that thing that gets offended in you when, we, when you find out that you're a sinner is the pride of life, the granddaddy of them all. You see, the truth is that every single one of us, by nature and nurture, have been born sinners. And what Jesus came to do is not to just give us some advice or to be a role model because we are not mistakers in need of a life coach. We are sinners that need a savior. And what Jesus came to do is to save us. John 3, 16 and 17, very popular verses, at least 16 is, says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, love motivated Jesus to come. But verse 17 tells us why he came. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The year was 1979. I was six years old. I know that's shocking to many of you. You thought I was much younger than that. Ha, ha, ha. 1979, six years old. My dad and his two double first cousins, think about how that works for a second, okay? Uh, they tear down a tobacco barn and put the wood in my backyard. It was my daddy and Uncle Philip and Uncle Pigeon. First time I told the story, somebody comes and says, you had an uncle named Pigeon? Yeah, I thought that was normal. Apparently it's not. Then they asked, did he like pigeons? Sort of, with gravy. That's gross, but that's a fact. <laughs> As my dad would say, you can't hide money. It's just true. Okay, so Uncle Philip, Uncle Pigeon, my dad tear down this tobacco barn because my dad, we were going to put new floors in our house, and he was like chip games before it was cool, and he was going to replane these, this lumber and refloor our house. And so he got the, got the wood, put it in the back, and then he told me, whatever you do, don't go near that pile of wood. There's rusty nails in it, there's snakes, there's spiders, don't want you to get hurt, and ultimately, I don't want you to jack up my lumber that I'm going to use, I think was the real deal. Yes, sir, Dad, obey, I will. So about seven days later, the next Saturday rolls around, and he's off at work, and I saw this pile of wood in the back of my house, and it just kind of beckoned to me. And so like being the little wretched, black-hearted sinner that we all are, I rejected the authority of my father, and I went for it, okay? And I thought, I am going to make the greatest fort of all time. How many former fort builders do we have in the house, all right? Praise God, all right? I think our whole society would be better if we traded in the iPods and built more forts. Can I get a witness? Amen, yeah. And yet, all the ones that amen and clap, we're the ones that buy the iPods, all right? Bunch of hypocrites. Anyway, 
Told you we're sinners. And so I get out there and I start rearranging it and putting the boards where I needed them and all of that. And, and it was kind of legit. I mean, it was kind of the king of all forts. And so it had like a little foyer. That's not what I would call it. But I could walk into one room and then kind of hook around to this other spot. And it was like the main living area. I called it the secret place, the Holy of Holies. That's where I dwelt in that place. All right. I had a little bench. I could sit my feet up on this deal. And I had a lookout. All right, a little peep site where I could look out and I could see about 180 degrees. And I thought, this is legit. You know, if I get tired of all these rules and regulations and all this, my mom and dad with the can do and can't do, I might just move out here and stay forever. And so I'm enjoying my time in my new little abode. And then the sun gets higher and higher and higher. My little house gets warmer, warmer, warmer. And I don't know that you would know this about me, but I have always had the spiritual gift of the nap. I'm incredibly good at it. I don't know if you, how many, have you got any nappers in the room? You can just wherever, whenever. Okay, good. It's a wonderful gift, is it not? And don't let the other people that are jealous of us right now, you need to repent of that sin in yourself, okay? And so, anytime I can lay down, go to sleep, except not in church. That's demon possession, but that's a different talk. So, <laughs> not only do I have the spiritual gift of the nap, but I also have this gift of deep sleep. I sleep real good all the time. It, uh, you can't wake me up at night. And I, have you ever noticed that God tends to match up the deep sleepers with those that wake up every time we exhale. You ever notice that? Those people that all the stars have to be aligned and the butterflies have to be singing the same song in order for them to go to sleep, all right? And here's the thing. You light sleepers try to wake up our deep sleepers to let us know you can't sleep. Let me tell you a couple things. We don't care. We're going back to sleep. <laughs> so there I am, in my fort, out. And I'm not sure exactly how long, but it was long enough for my mom to lose her mind, which wasn't very difficult because she was convinced her whole life that at some point, because we were so adorable and precious, that somebody was going to come and steal us and sell us off some black market somewhere. She was convinced of it. And yet, uh, we, in fact, I thought when, when, when I went to the store, when I was this age, this is when they started putting the missing kids on the milk cartons, I was pretty sure my face was going to show up on one of those if I stayed out too late, you know? Because I lived in this crazy day. Some of you won't understand this. I lived in this crazy day where on a Saturday, we would go outside for the day. Where were we going? I don't know, out there somewhere. No cell phone, no GPS tracker. And we would just be out there until the great homing beacon of the streetlight would come on, and then we would all gather back up like pigeons, okay? That's what we did every day. You should Google it. It's, it'll be exciting for you. So I'm out in the fort, and I'm gone, 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 gone. I think I was asleep for hours. And so my mom thinks I'm gone, lost, okay? And so I wake up to her screaming my full name, Joseph Perry Martin III, and I think, oh, no. I sit up and I look out of my peep sight. My dad is standing on the back porch. And he's kind of got this panicky look in his face. Because they, they legitimately think I'm gone somewhere. And he's screaming my name, Joby, Joby. And I thought, I'm definitely not going to be like, don't worry about it. I'm in here because I'm not supposed to be in here. I look left, I look right. Some of my neighbors are knocking on, we live in the neighborhood. They were knocking on some of the other houses on the street saying, have you seen him, have you seen him? And then the craziest thing of all, the fire truck was at my house. I don't know why my dad called the fire truck. In case they found me and I was ablaze, they could put me out. I'm not sure. <laughs> and then the biggest deal is this. Both police cars from Dillon at my house at the same time. The entire force has descended upon the Martin abode. And so I knew this was a big deal. And so I snuck out the back of my fort. I went around our little barn that we had, kind of down the side of the house. I'm trying to avoid the peripheral vision of Perry Martin. And then I sneak up right behind him, and I just tug him on the shirt. And he turns around, and he looks at me with this look. 
that as a dad, I know very well these days. And he grabs me by the shoulders, and he picks me up right here like this, and he says, boy, I don't know whether to whoop you or hug you. And I said, I'll take a hug. (laughs) And he did. He did. My daddy's not the most affectionate God that's ever lived, but in that moment when he thought his son was lost and now was found, he wrapped his arms around me and squeezed my guts out and just squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And I remember seeing the firemen coming over and the policemen coming over. But here's what I knew. I mean, I'll never forget that day as long as I live. Here's what I knew is that when I was lost, my dad was willing to do whatever it took to come and find me to call the neighbors, to go looking door to door, to turn over every rock, to call the highest authorities, the fire department and the police department, whatever it took to come and find me because he had a son that was lost and he was willing to do whatever it took. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is God Almighty sending his son, the highest authority in all of the universe, on a rescue mission to do whatever it takes to seek and to save God's lost children. And so the message of Christmas is for you. Fear not. See, a lot of you have been running from God and you are far from God. And you have been afraid to come home to him because you thought you were coming home to a whooping. Jesus makes it very clear in John three seventeen: I have not come to condemn the world but to save the world you know what the good news of Christmas is is that unto us this Christmas has been born not a life coach not an example not a teacher but a savior for anyone who would believe for anyone who would admit it hey I've been the Lord of my own life and that ain't working out and I believe Jesus when you died on the cross somehow that counted for me and in this very moment I want to confess you as Lord and Savior. I want to surrender my life to the Lordship of Christ. And for anybody that would do that, Christ has made a way that you get to come home to the loving arms of a heavenly Father. This could be the Christmas that you come home. Would you please close your eyes and bow your head? And I just want to ask you very specifically, you specifically, have you ever done that? Have you ever surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ? If not, you could do it right now. You could take that first step home. You could admit it. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. You could believe when Christ died on the cross, somehow that counted for me. And in this moment, I confess, God, I want to surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you want to do that, just use your own words. Tell your Heavenly Father. And if you are ready to do that, would you just raise your hand and say, Father, here I am. I am ready to come home. I believe that Christ came on a rescue mission to rescue me. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you because you love us first. God, I thank you and I praise you that you did not put the burden on us. God, we're not bad people that need to be better. We don't need just some instruction and a role model. God, we need a Savior. And Jesus, I thank you that that is exactly who you are, that you came to rescue lost and abandoned and broken sons and daughters like us. God, we thank you for your grace. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, church, we respond to the gospel. The gospel demands a response. So if you would, please stand as we respond. We respond in prayer. We have these carpets and these uh, altars up here. 
And the reason we have them is because we want to invite you to just come forward and pray that you could lift up your prayers to the almighty king, sovereign of the universe, who in Christ just happens to be your dad. And we also, if you're, if you're a regular here, we respond financially by worshiping the Lord, by bringing our first and our best, our tithes and our offerings, because he first loved us by giving us his best in Jesus Christ. And lastly, we join our voices together to worship the one that is worth it. And we're going to close with the song, Oh Holy Night. Because you know what made that night divine? It's the night when divinity entered into humanity. And sort of like my dad calling the highest authorities to help him rescue his lost child, that in a similar way, God Almighty sends the highest authority, Jesus Christ, the preeminent one. And that Christmas night, heaven touches earth. So join us as we sing.